This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Today, we continue our exploration of the fourth industrial revolution and what it means for education. Last week, we looked at how datafication is impacting the field of comparative education. Today, we look at teachers. What are the prospects and perils of the fourth industrial revolution for teachers? In, in, in the West, formative assessment has, has really taken off uh, in classrooms and teachers are really aware of it. And I think more researched, research informed on these kinds of developments. Uh, and it also buys into that kind of narrative and it actually helps. I'm, I'm not against that per se. Uh, but if people then take it to the next level and starts replacing, like a narrative, replacing teachers, and we don't need teachers anymore, or they're even better than teachers, then it becomes really, uh, really problematic. My guest today is Yelmer Avers. Yelmer is a teacher, blogger, writer, and innovator. He teaches history at UniC in the Netherlands and works with Education International, the global federation of teacher unions. He was nominated for the Global Teacher Prize in 2012 and is known for his book called Flip the System. Technology in itself is, is not bad, but if you look at sort of also how the fourth industrial revolution is portrayed, uh, what kind of people are pushing it, uh, then definitely uh, we're on the, the wrong track, I think. And although they, they talk about changing institutions, I don't think I don't see a lot of that happening at the moment. And you can also see, and that's where the, the teacher strikes in the United States are so instructive. Today, Yelmer and I discuss his new co-edited volume, Teaching in the Fourth Industrial Revolution, Standing at the Precipice, which was published by Routledge earlier this year. Yelmer Avers, welcome to Fresh Ed. Thank you. Glad to be here. Why does it seem like every other news article that I read lately mentions something about the Fourth Industrial Revolution? Um, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> That's also why we wrote the book. Um, I think there's, there's several reasons um, for that. I think there's a genuine fear of, of disruption. I, th- I think people can see that technology is having a major influence on, on how we live and work and also in education. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't think that is just it. It's not just a fear, which is, um, uh, well, can be right. I think it also has to do with sort of like the, the, the sort of like techno optimism uh, that is sort of like pervasive in the last 10, 15 years, sort of like the dominance of Silicon Valley, entre- entrepreneurship, startup culture. Um, yeah, so technology is cool and happening. And, and, and as if you, if you compare it to education, education is sort of like stale and, and old school. Um, so it's sort of like this, this, this techno utopism um, to it. Um, I, I also think, at least, at least from an educational point of view, the idea that um, technology will make this old progressive dream come true of personalized education. I mean, we have, we have we've been having these discourses for at least 200 years. Um, and, and if you look back at all these sort of like older thinking and, 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 and books and articles on education, you can see the similar languages uh, pop up. And now it has the name Fourth Industrial Revolution or personalized education uh, to it. And I think the idea is, and there is this grain of truth in it, that it makes it more easier to, um, 
to to allow this to happen, although with lots of caveats. Um, fourthly, and that's something I only learned, like learned later on in, in, in at least in my teaching career, when you start to look outside of the classroom and schools and systems, etc., is all these policy networks that are out there and that have been out there for a long time and have also have been latching on to sort of like this this whole uh, techno utopist view vision uh, of society and also in, in education. Um, so this whole 21st century skills debate is predating the, the idea of the fourth industrial revolutions and that's already been out there for quite some time, at least in the Netherlands, like early 2000s, we've been talking about this um, and, and as a means also for politicians, but also for teachers to, to push for innovation in education. Uh, and now we have this sort of like more profound technological change, which I do think is there um, embedded into it, sort of like. And um, so that's why I think it has become stronger. There's the sense that, it, that there is something going on and it makes it more easy for these narratives to, from whatever viewpoint you take, um, uh, to look at education in that way. Um, for, but for me as well, it, it's also part of this like bigger bigger, longer neoliberal discourse that has been going on as well. And, and people have been latching on to it. So sort of like, oh, it almost feels like germ 2.0, like the uh, global education reform movement, like Patsy Salberg, you coined that. And now we're having sort of like these big tech companies pushing into that space as well with, with teacher ambassadors and you have the Google ambassadors and the Apple ambassadors. And it's a really powerful, powerful narrative. So both from an optimistic point of view, but also from a fear point of view. Um, so that's, that's why I think where, um, I think that's why it's there. So the fourth industrial revolution is, is, is about what, what is the revolution? Well, I think you have to also look at who coined the term. So it's Klaus Schwab from the World Economic Forum, uh, the yearly gathering in Davos, uh, mostly by CEOs and sort of like academic who, who buy into that stuff. Um, and his, his book has been quite, quite influential. He, so he coined this term. So what's going on? And his, his idea is that there was a first industrial revolution, of course, like the steam engine. Uh, the second one, uh, early 20th century, uh, late 19th century with electricity, oil, like mass production, like the, the whole birth of the fourth uh, era and Taylorism. Um, then in the sixties with the sort of like, uh, the birth of the digital age, like the, the more simple digital revolution, uh, which of course has a major impact on our communications, our productivity. Uh, and now he's saying there is a fourth industrial revolution and it's sort of like an exponential technology where different kinds of strands of technological innovation are now being combined and accelerated. And you have to think about like AI and robotics, uh, nanotechnology, biotechnology, like quantum computing, those kind of things. And they're all like interacting with one another. And like, there's like new, 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 new industrial sectors, um, like, like data scientists, those kind of things. That's like ubiquitous all over, it's all over the place. Everybody needs to be a data scientist nowadays. Um, so, and, and, and like, like gene therapy and DNA. And I mean, it's, it, it, it is, if you look at it, sort of like the whole list that he goes through, it is quite remarkable, I think, what is going on. So you, you definitely cannot discount the technological change that is going on. 
Like, and I think we can see that all, all around us. But I think he does like point towards that there's this whole political economy sphere uh, and context to it. But he stays within a certain frame. And I think that's sort of like the biggest issue that we it's not a technology that we need to tackle per se. It's more like um, who, who profits from it, uh, who owns the technology, who owns the data, that kind of stuff. And how are people talking about the ways in which the fourth industrial revolution will impact education? Um, that's, that's, that's a very interesting um, question. And that brings me back, I think, to the, sort of the progressive uh, strands and, and, and philosophy that we have uh, in education. So, for example, if you, if you look at it from, from a really practical point of view, people are really pushing sort of like these adaptive platforms. Uh, that's sort of like these tutor, tutoring platforms that can help students learn at their own pace. Um, maybe you don't need a teacher anymore. Maybe the platform is good enough with all the learning materials, the videos, the, the readings, the interactivity that's, that's uh, more easy to, uh, to produce. So that's already been there. But now sort of like with these algorithms and, and the promise of adaptivity, I think that's sort of like the main focus right now um, uh, and also that where, where it has the big, biggest impact. And I think there are some, like for example, if you look at um, um, like math skills, like basic math skills, uh, I can see with my own children. So they're practicing on this and it's for, for the whole like drill kind of um, part of education and teaching. It, actually helps helps um it can ease the sort of like formative feedback cycle that you create with children work with them on that so you can outsource a little bit of sort of like the formative aspect and that's that's i think that's actually a good thing but if you then look at sort of like what kind of articles are you reading and sort of like uh, teachers will be will be replaced with ai and you know that kind of stuff and that's that's quite worrying and it's that's completely besides the the truth and reality. I think there are different things going on, but it's, so that's sort of like the, the basic things. And if you look at the impact of technology in another level, which I think think is more progressive, it's sort of like maker education. Um, so uh, all those technology uh, associated with that, and it's also with, with 3D printing, but also like it's easy to uh, program little little computers, etc. Those kind of things are. are are having a major impact and, and students can be producers and they can interact with students all over the world, etc. So there is, I think there is, the problem is there is this true promise of progressive education, uh, but it's also sort of like hijacked by a more behind the scenes, by a more standardized form um, of education. Because if you look at sort of all these platforms, they're, 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 make, they're trying to sort of like make, make these little data points everywhere, like the learning goals. And then you are run through this maze as a student without the help of any teacher. And that's sort of like the, the old standardized dream. So it has this, these two, it's just a two-faced thing to it. Have you experienced any of these two different faces of the Industrial Revolution 4.0 or whatever it's called, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, inside your own classroom? Um, well, you know, it, it, for example, it... it the, the whole networking and uh, I can, it can connect with people all over the world. I can connect my class uh, with people and other students from all over the world. They are connecting themselves. I mean, I give they're they're, they're doing, doing it anyway, and I give them that leeway. 
Um, so, so that aspect is there. Um, it makes it more easy for me, for example, to um, create a learning environment where they do have a lot, lots of choice. I'm not just fixed to a textbook, for example. Well, I do also use textbooks because the, the students enjoy them. I think uh, working from paper is way more efficient than, uh, than digital technology. That is the, the, all these studies that have come out lately that it sort of like um, have warned us about sort of like not to go to deep into the di digital world um, from a learning aspect, but also from like an addictive uh, aspect. So it's there. Um, what we've also seen is um, that these te technologies are being pushed. So we had a major change. We, we just changed to Microsoft, for example, the Microsoft um, um, environments. And I don't think our school, which is quite autonomous, um, and we as teachers were on, on board uh, with that, you get bombarded with all these um, actors, policy actors, networks, research, uh, people trying to sell you stuff. It's a huge market also in the Netherlands. And more worryingly, I think um, what we've seen, and it was even, I think, people from my own school board who were like part of this, um, they're, they're looking into sort of like, we have a teacher shortage, so and we can't pay for it, so we need, we're going to look at other scenarios. And that means sort of like, and then we're actually talking about uh, using AI and all these platforms to, to, to invest more in that. It will be more cheaper in the long run. So it, it is def definitely um, affecting us and me uh, still on the ground and in, in, lots of, in lots of different ways, I think. Do you literally have people coming into your classroom or your school trying to sell you the latest education technology well they're trying to and they're trying to approach you of course and through different ways and through the you know, like the school leadership or the board etc um and I'm, I'm, I'm usually approached quite often because i write these books and quite well known in the netherlands so that's sort of like also how do you want to work with us and, and uh we've got this product etc so that's uh that's definitely a thing how does that work like what's the economy there do do they want to give you some sort of monetary kickback or like how does it work no no that's never the case that's the interesting part and that's why i always say no i say i, I mean i'm happy to consult in any way as long as you pay me for it and then usually it's the, the conversation stops um that's, that's also a very interesting no it's just we get we give you your you can try out our product for free and then would you write a little piece on it or do you want to try it out and give us some feedback so it's sort of like free labor kind of thing. So I always say no to that. Um, whilst I do think there are, you know, there are interesting things out there that, that definitely help me in my, in my teaching. But it's, um, it's definitely a, a, a big thing. And you can see the, the, the major publishers moving from textbooks towards, they're all trying to create this platform and, and sort of like trying to create a monopoly and like the ma major book, book distributor. You can see that they're really changing their, 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 their course into a sort of like a platform kind of uh, uh, way. And they're, and they're actually so big that they, they might have a chance for that in the Netherlands. What, what is a platform, by the way? It's, it's, like, um, it's sort of like where content is almost free, but where you want, where you, you want to you be where the interaction is, where, the, where you can gather data and sell that data. And um, so that's, that's, you know, that's sort of like... Um, uh, if you look at like Uber and all these other and Airbnb, etc., so they don't own anything anymore. So they don't own the books anymore. They don't even, might not even own the content anymore. But as long as you have enough people on a platform, 
and it gathers data. So that's a revenue stream. I have a huge revenue stream. It's with Facebook and Twitter, etc. Also, are also doing. Uh, and if you if you have all these learning interactions, then you've got all these data points. You, you can have all these correlations, and then you can sell this as, look, we know that this works. You don't. They don't really know what works because it's just a correlation. But that's that's they, they're selling a sort of like this model of learning, whilst we still don't know a lot about learning. So that's sort of like the, the um, if, if they can, if you can occupy that space, and a lot of people are trying to do that. So let me let me just try and get my head wrapped around this. The idea here is that there are these companies, these education businesses that are creating online platforms that they're trying to get students to use and teachers to use. And then while they're using these platforms that offer all sorts of content, like you said, maybe that is being developed for free externally, um, they then are collecting data points on how the students interact and use that material and then somehow analyze it and then sell the analysis back to the school that's the revenue yeah so those kind of things and also for other products so you can you can build off products from on on that platform as well Mm. and what i've been looking for for example so i've been using all these different kind of tools like socrative and and we've got a, a virtual learning environment and all these other things but they're not talking to one another so for me it would be really useful to have a a single point of view that, that like people are talking about dashboards, for example, learning dashboards. Uh, if, if you can organize that and then you become sort of like the Spotify of education uh, because you're the, you're the entry point to, to everything. So you can ask uh, revenue from the people that are providing the apps. You can, uh, you can ask for like a small fee from the schools and the students. Uh, you can sell your data um, to other companies again. Uh, so I had to start, this is sort of like how people learn. So that's sort of like the whole, that's what a lot of companies are trying to do around the world uh, at the moment, even in the developing world. And this, these sort of companies are, I mean, they're obviously working inside public schools as well. Is that correct? Yeah, so we have we have a we have a little bit more of a uh, different system in the Netherlands. It's completely privatized, non-profit, but that's more from a historical point of view. So it has to do with that religious education was funded just like public education, um, and you know, in the whole neoliberal reforms at the end of the '90s, early 2000s, every school was privatized. Uh, but with a really strong accountability system, inspectorate, etc., uh, profit is like a big no-go. In uh, although we have a lot of scandals here in the Netherlands. Increasingly so. Um, so it is. We still consider it public, but a lot of people don't know how privatized it actually is. Uh, and it also makes it more easy to to sell this kind of stuff. So if if you look at how the government operates, when they're talking about ICT and EdTech and they're creating these policies, the only people they're talking to are actually like the the representatives of all our boards, like way high up. Uh, and the uh, the publishers and the edtech people and the technology people. So teachers don't have any say, or schools themselves don't have any say in those policy networks. And and, and, and they're huge. They're well funded, and they they know how to approach the ministry, etc. So it's it's quite it's been quite worrying. And I've been as a teacher, I've been quite disgusted by like the whole direction that has taken in the last like eight years or so. And what direction has that taken in the last eight years? I think we've managed to. Stop a lot of sort of like the neoliberal discourse, like the standardized testing and the top-down managerial sort of like culture that is sort of completely embedded in, in our schools. I think we've managed to stop that, but the whole privatization aspect of it and 
the whole more uh, it's more easy to start schools uh, and there one then you know people want to do away with the central exams um, so it becomes more easy to penetrate or sort of like our school system through these networks uh, where teachers don't have any say so it's like the whole public aspect of our system is sort of like eroded um, without it being really clear to people so for me that's sort of like exactly what you see around going on around the world. It's not just in the Netherlands. If it's happening in a strong system like the Netherlands, um, well, you can imagine, and I know what, you know, for example, what's going on in the United States, but also in in the developing world and in African countries, but also Asian countries. I mean, it's it's huge and um, well-organized, uh, like I see here in the Netherlands as well. So that's, that's um, going against, I think, I think we've won a lot of sort of like discourse battles against sort of like that whole standardized narrative and now we're up against a new sort of like narrative and it's not a lot of not a lot of people's radars uh, it's it's it has this progressive sauce to it and that makes it more easy more difficult to counter i think and even be aware of it how would you define that progressive side well, do you mean like the um, the um, like well you you were saying that you were saying that education technology um, sort of furthers the privatization efforts inside schools, not only in the Netherlands, but around the world. Um, and you're trying to, to in a sense, um, mobilize against that movement, but because perhaps education technology has this progressive side to it, it makes it a little more difficult to mobilize that resistance. Can, can, you, can you talk a little bit about that progressive side? Everybody, like everybody, wants to personalize. You want to, you want to, you want to bring out the talent of the individual student. That's a given. That's sort of like one of the major goals. That's what we do as teachers. If if you you want to try to build a good relationship, you want to see what's in there, what comes out of it, and improve on that. You want to give him every attention or her every attention that you that you can. So if somebody says, well, here's a solution that we can give you a, a real personalized education while well, before it was just a standard industrial Prussian kind of, which is complete nonsense, of course, um, uh, model. Um, well, it's based on this faulty premise that it's just sort of like jumping through hoops and, and running through a small like standardized maze. That is it's, it's sort of like standardized education in, in disguise uh, in, in a lot of ways. And it's also like, at least in the Netherlands, and I think definitely in, in, in the West, like formative assessment has, has really taken off uh, in classrooms and teachers are really aware of it. And I think more researched, research informed on these kinds of developments. Uh, and it also buys into that kind of narrative and it actually helps. I'm, I'm not against that per se, uh, but if people then take it to the next level and starts replacing, like a narrative, replacing teachers, and we don't need teachers anymore, or they're even better than teachers. Um, that, that make, then it becomes really, uh, really problematic because that, those technologies can't do that whatsoever uh, at all. Uh, if you look at sort of like what AI experts are saying, they can do a really specific thing really, really well. Uh, but but a job, and especially in education, is, is so much more than that. And it, it also has to do with empathy and ethics and, and morals and bringing up the child's. And, um, as, as a society and as sort of like as a uh, and, and the school is also a small community where he creates create sort of like new communities and, and well, prepare them for the wider world which isn't just about economics and jobs so if you I mean, like an artificial intelligence can never do that at least definitely not for the for the 
uh, coming 50 years, if you look at all these, the, what, what, what AI experts are saying. But at the same time, if you, if you open up like the Times Educational Supplement, for example, it says, well, we need to be really afraid of AI because they're going to replace us. And, and that's just not true. So where is this narrative just coming from? And then it, it becomes more easy to sell this kind of things. Well, but we're personalizing it. How can you be against personalizing education? Um, so that's sort of like the, the, the real difficult thing I think people are, are grappling with. And if, if, if you are also then offered incentives to be part of like a global network uh, that you can visit conferences and it's being paid for, et cetera. So like our best teachers are now also sort of like in these corporate networks and big tech networks. And that those are the, 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 the best funded teacher networks around the world. And they're, they're having this corp, they're, they're now having a corporate identity instead of a professional identity. So that's, you know, those, those are the dynamics that are, that are going on under the heading of personal, personalized uh, education. It seems slightly analogous to the way in which um, medical or pharmaceutical companies sort of engage with the medical profession. Yeah, I think there's definitely, and I hadn't really thought about it that way yet. Also, I have to pursue that as well. I definitely think that's that's the case, and and I've got a few of my are like uh, friends are general practitioners, uh, and they they definitely have an issue with it. And I know there's a whole internal debate, like from a professional point of view, but then there are lots of people who are buying into the system because you know it gives them opportunities, it gives them a platform, and it's the same kind of dynamics, and and. The problem is like the, 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 the people who are like fighting for public education are always underfunded, uh, less networked, uh, they're, you know, we're not at Davos, so to speak. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's, 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 you know, and, and you want to you wanna get your voice out. And actually, a lot of people are doing good work. And, and some of, you know, some of the lesson plans that are that they're talking about and, and pushing out and like they're, they're, they're really valuable. But if they're part of this, this bigger discourse, and I read a, there was a series in the New York Times about these networks, but these kind of networks, how Google and, and, and Microsoft are, and Apple are opening up their schools, the schools uh, to, to, to sell their products. Um, I, I don't think we, we, as a profession, we have had a real uh, genuine discussion about this. Uh, and it also becomes that we're because we're quite a weak profession, I think, in a lot of sense. So we don't have standard, lots of standards, uh, professional bodies, uh, unions have been focusing on bread and butter issues, and it should be way, way wider than they do now. So there's there's so many things that we still need to organize around and and do, uh, and we need to do it globally. I think it's, it's it is a global discussion because these operators are all they're all operating on a, on a global level. So you can never do it in on a national level or just on a national level. Um, so yeah, that's sort of like the, it's, 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 there are so many things that you need to be involved in. And if you're then as a teacher being, for, for example, being educated as just focusing on pedagogy and just focusing on the classroom and you're not sort of like um, brought into this wider discussion, it makes it really hard for people to resist. And that's also what happened, I think, in, in the 90s and in the, in the 2000s, where people were, teachers would be really being pushed back into the classroom and just sort of like, it, and you, 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 you're being, you have to do what you're, you're told. So this whole history that we've had, at least in the 80s and 70s and 60s, a more critical pedagogy, but also like a really strong profession, that's also being, has been undermined. So that sort of makes it really hard to, to, to fight back, I think, on these issues. And so what can 
teachers do? I mean, if they had, say, a stronger profession or more professionalized, like you were saying, in these global networks, teachers still need to be very literate in all of this new technology um, and have a voice at the table, in a sense, on how how it can be incorporated. So, in a sense, how do teachers, in your perspective, sort of resist or engage with this large network of education businesses that are, in a sense, spearheading this fourth industrial revolution? Mm -hmm. um, well, for, first thing is, I think there's the, the, um, the, the idea of, an, of a network teacher is really powerful. So they're actually tapping into something um, that is really worthwhile. Uh, I think also if you look at sort of like professional development and why, why teachers stay in the classroom, that this networking act, act aspect and collaborative learning is extremely powerful. It's probably one of the best, also one of the best ways to retain teachers as well, but also for, for us to become better as, as a profession. So I think what we need to do is sort of like try to find ways to support those networks. But then also when we start talking about pedagogy and good and what is good pedagogy, educational technology, formative assessment, we also start to sort of like push in these narratives what education is for, uh, what are all these actors involved uh, in education, um, what kind of role are you taking? So the, the, like the networks are already there and there's this really, really powerful networks here in the Netherlands, but globally, and I'm talking to teachers from the United States, Australia, Africa, African countries like Uganda, South Africa. So, I mean, I'm, we're already connected. It's just that it's, it's, it doesn't have a real organizing a uh, bit to it. And that's why I think where old fashioned unions, like unionism uh, comes in. And, and I think they need to take a wider approach um, from just focusing on salary, for example, or workloads. It's, it's, it's about being a profession. And I think a lot of unions have already had that, but they're also sort of like let themselves be pushed into this no more narrow um, narrative. But just focusing on grassroots networks is not good enough. If you look at sort of like the, the failed revolutions in the Middle East, um, uh, the Occupy movement, etc. So if there's no powerful political organized well funded movement um, combined with this sort of like more grassroots network, social media kind of uh, activism, if you can, if you can combine those things, I think you have a really, really good chance of sort of like changing the narrative. And our own sort of like what we've learned here, at least in the Netherlands, if you if you have a powerful narrative and if you can influence the general public, you, you can turn those things around. So we moved away from standardized testing. And I think there's there's just a new sort of like powerful grassroots movement, a Facebook group that popped up and they were sort of like the catalyst for a national strike. And you see those things pop up in, in the United States as well. So they've even become sort of like the the core of the resistance, like in the, in the red states, red for Ed. Um, so the the um, I think everything is uh, is there already. I think, but we need to be more conscious of this. And I think it also starts with being uh, in, in teacher education. Um, I don't think I was sort of educated enough of being in, sort of in, sort of like being that I was part of a profession and being proud of being part of the profession. And what does it mean? Um, to go beyond your classroom, uh, and that's something that we need to take up as well. It starts with with you know the people entering into our profession and and, and taking this more holistic uh, approach. And I think 
everything. Um, so I'm quite optimistic, actually, that we can uh, uh, achieve change, sort of like flipping the system. That's what we call it. Um, and putting the teachers at the center of it. Um, because I've already seen so many positive changes within schools themselves, in school districts, but also even on a national level. Uh, like New Zealand's just turning back on a lot of like toxic neoliberal reforms uh, just recently. So that sort of like gives me a lot of uh, optimism um, that we, we can turn this around, but it does need to be a conscious effort. And, and that's, we're still not at that stage. And that, that's what we need to push for, I think. It seems like you're also advocating for flipping the narrative of the fourth industrial revolution from either techno-pessimism or seeing technology as some utopia to actually saying, wait a second, humans use technology and it has to therefore be a political process as to how we use it um, to sort of flip the narrative completely. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, you know, I'm not a Luddite. Uh, I, I, I love work. work. I actually came into like educational innovation. Like, I think like most teachers through educational technology, uh, that's how you start to find for new apps and new things that you want to try out and you actually see that it's working. And so there's technology in itself is, 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 is not bad. But if you look at sort of also how the fourth industrial revolution is portrayed, uh, what kind of people are pushing it, uh, then definitely uh, we're on the, the wrong track. I think, and although they they talk about changing institutions, I don't think I don't see a lot of that happening at the moment. And you can also see, and that's where the the, the teacher strikes in the United States are so instructive. If you start to go for like more 20th century, 19th century activism, and, and like go back to what unions and activists did in the um, to emancipate themselves um, uh, in the in the second half of the 19th century, if you combine that with new technology, you have a really really powerful um, for so I think most people are not against we're so we're skyping uh, at the moment you're in Japan and I'm in here in Brussels so uh, it would be foolish to discount that but people really like that sort of like if you either in this camp or in that camp but if you then it makes it really easy to to uh, discount the criticisms oh they're just against technology we're not but we want to use it in so that everybody can 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 um, profit from it, or maybe profit's not the right word, but help us create a better world and help our students create a better world. And that, that's that, that's what it should be about. And most of the systems that are being created and are being funded and, and lobbied for at the moment are going in the wrong direction, and including international organizations, but big corporations, etc. So if we like if we if we state that technology is neutral, we can use it either for good or for bad, then then we are on the right track. But it also needs to be embedded in sort of like a re-evaluation of the public goods. Um, so if, if you look at sort of like, I think if you look at, for, for example, in economics, that narrative is, is gaining momentum in, in, in ways which I haven't seen like like in the 70s or 60s, I think, right? when, when Keynes was dominant. So with Piketty and Danny Roderick and all these people like really advocating for, for um, reassessing how we look at society and economics and politics, et cetera. So that's already happening as well. And we need to tap into that, I think, in, in education and what, like what we did with Flip the System uh, here in the Netherlands and also internationally. Those, those kind of narratives and Patsy Solberg and Carol Campbell in Canada. And there are so many people doing, doing the right thing and systems are also start doing the right thing. Um, so it's, it's not that hard to find good examples. It's just to 
make more people aware of it and actually start fighting for them and and that you that there is an alternative out there and it is already working uh and that's i think what we if we can if we can put that into people's minds then you get to create a really uh, powerful counter counter movement and a, and a new new alternative well Yelmer Avers, thank you so much for joining Fresh Head. It really was a pleasure to talk today. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. So, and lots to think about again. So thank you. Yelmer Avers is a teacher, blogger, writer, and innovator. His latest co-edited volume is called Teaching in the Fourth Industrial Revolution, Standing at the Precipice. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Head are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us on iTunes. It really does help. Fresh Ed is made possible through listener donations. Please consider becoming a member of Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com slash support. Fresh Ed's producers are Sherry Yang, Yuval Devere, Hong Zong, and Lushik Waba. Aggie Hu is Fresh Ed's social media coordinator, and original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brim, and I'll be back next week.